Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, I explore the recent HBR video, How to Have a Hybrid Meeting That Works for Everyone. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode. Today, I'll be exploring the recent HBR video, How to Have a Hybrid Meeting That Works for Everyone. As workplaces take tentative steps towards a new normal, social psychologist Heidi Grant shares best practices for interacting when some are in the office and some are remote. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. As we enter this new post-COVID world of a hybrid work between virtual and in-person, a lot of our old habits are really not going to keep working. We have a lot of stuff that we need to figure out. How to have meetings, how to show up, cameras on, cameras off. There's a lot we know about the science of human behavior, of perception, that we can apply to figure out what the new normal should look like. So you'll see these articles that say, well, it's important to have cameras on. Then you see these other set of articles. They talk about Zoom fatigue. Let people keep their cameras off. That's what you should be doing. So, well, which is it? The important thing to realize is that you have to do one or the other and not a bit of both. A bit of both is terrible. When some people are on and some people are off, that's gonna create a very, very uncomfortable dynamic. The people whose cameras are on feel more vulnerable, right? You can see me. You can see how I'm reacting, but I don't know how anybody else is reacting because their cameras are off. The people whose cameras are off are also less likely to be sort of the focus of conversation. They have to fight to get in. What you have to do is really decide when will we decide cameras will be on and when will we decide cameras will be off. I like how she concludes that opening point that we need to make decisions about when cameras are gonna be on, when they're gonna be off. Now, I disagree with her when she says, we have to just make a choice. We can't do both. We have to do one or the other. I do think there is more flexibility uh, to it than that. And we do need to try to be accommodating. There are a wide range of reasons why people may in the moment need to turn their camera off. And we don't wanna shame people from turning off their camera, even if just for a few minutes, if they need to for a variety of reasons. Uh, So let's not be too rigid, but her point about being more thoughtful uh, about our meetings and trying to decide, generally speaking, for this meeting, is this a camera on meeting? Is this a camera off meeting? Uh, and, And frankly, if it's a camera off meeting, the question is, do you need to be doing it over Teams? Can it be a conference call? Uh, to take away the temptation that anyone might have to even turn on their camera. It lets people, it signals and lets people know uh, that, that they don't need to worry about it. 
Um, regardless, though, her point is well taken. If we can be thoughtful in advance of a meeting and then signal to our people whether this will generally be a, a video on meeting or a video off meeting, I, I think that's a really great thing to do because there is an imbalance when you're trying to have a meaningful conversation with a group of people and it is largely mixed. Anything kind of delicate, we have to talk about something that's a little sensitive, should be a cameras on meeting. When you are giving feedback, particularly sort of constructive feedback, or you have to share some bad news, that is a time to put cameras on. A remarkable amount of our ability to understand each other comes through our ability to interpret uh, facial cues, particularly around emotions. It's actually why emojis exist, right? They are filling the gap that in communication that doesn't have faces in it. But faces are the best thing. Celebratory meetings, that's one of the hardest ones. If the purpose of the meeting is to sort of celebrate something and everyone's gonna be laughing and talking and clapping and that sort of thing, if, if some people have to be virtual, then everyone has to be virtual. Meaning if you're in the office, go to your desk and participate in that meeting actually from your computer, because those are the worst meetings for virtual participants. You can't hear anything, people are making jokes, they're all talking at the same time. It's impossible to break into that conversation and it's better to have everyone be virtual in a celebration if you can't have everyone be in person. It's about, okay, when do we need to have it on? We, ha we want this to be a bonding experience. The purpose of this meeting is to strengthen sort of team connection, cameras on. Everything else, like this is just a check-in, this is just logistics, this is just, you know, we have to share some information back and forth, cameras off. Right? Give people a break. It's important to also let people know what the thing is going to be. So if this is going to be a cameras on meeting, you tell people in the invite, this is a cameras on meeting. Right? So everyone's on that level playing field. Let's face it, what we're doing now really isn't working, right? When we kind of play it by ear, we let people make these decisions for themselves. The temptation to be cameras off is is enormous. Right? It's that same temptation to not put on actual pants, like to just like stay in your pajama pants. The reality is it isn't necessarily what's best for you. Difficult conversations, feedback sessions, one-on-one -on -one interactions, uh, celebratory types of interactions and, and meetings. All of those are really great candidates for video on meetings. Face-to-face uh, -face if you can do it, right? Um, if you can be in the same room with the person while you're giving the feedback or having that performance conversation or to get a group of people together so you can have a great celebration over a win in the workplace, that's great. Uh, her point though also about making sure that you don't exclude people who are virtual due to uh, the dynamic of you know some people being in the room and the other people being virtual, you have to monitor that. You have to make sure that people who are in the virtual space have the opportunity to contribute uh, they, they shouldn't be dinged for not being there in person. And that's a, that's a general um, bias that we have, and she's going to talk more about that in, in the upcoming clip. Again, though, if, if you have people in person, you have people virtual, there are certain types of meetings that that makes sense for, and there's other types of meetings that doesn't make any sense for. I've been in meetings like that. We, we've had strategy sessions. Uh, we're, we're brainstorming. We're having lots of dialogue. And there's a group of people in person. There's a group of people online. Guess what's guess what ends up happening in that environment? 
it's hard to, it's, it's very interactive, right? And it's hard to even hear what's going on in the room with the people who are face to face and they forget about the people who are, who are, um, online and they don't really get included. And so it's, it's really ends up just being a frustrating waste of time in that situation. Even if you have half the people who are together face to face, it's probably going to be more effective if everyone just jumps online and you just do a virtual teams meeting with everybody and then everyone is there, you can interact, you can hear, you can even record it so you can go back and review later. Uh, that's going to be much more effective. Also, like I said earlier, it is important to let people know what to expect in an upcoming meeting. That applies to just having an agenda. What's the purpose of the meeting? What are the objectives of the meeting? What type of meeting is it? Is it a working meeting or is it an informational meeting? Is it a feedback session? Is it a strategy session? So you, you communicate that in advance through an agenda so that people have a, the opportunity to prepare and they can come ready to have a, a good conversation, good interactions during the meeting. That's just common sense. Uh, that's good meeting practice regardless of whether you're face-to-face, -face, virtual, hybrid, whatever. What she's suggesting here is that we just add to that. Now we make a note that this meeting is one where we're going to have a lot of interaction. Uh, it would really be helpful if everyone could have their cameras on. You let people know in advance. That way they can prepare. That way they can make sure that they're in a place where they're better situated to have their cameras on. Uh, and then there's no question. And then you don't have that awkward uh start of the meeting where you're trying to encourage people to turn their camera on and then some people aren't, you're frustrated, just let them know. This is a camera on meeting, this is a camera off meeting. Tell them in advance. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, the Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Your self-image is actually starting to shift a bit and not in a good direction. There's actually a lot of research that shows that bothering to get dressed, bothering to to groom yourself, that has an enormous impact on how we see ourselves. Because at some point during the day, you are gonna look in a mirror, right? If you just go into the bathroom to wash your hands or brush your teeth, you're gonna see what you look like. It impacts us in ways that we often don't realize that are often sort of implicit. Making yourself like how you look in the mirror 
is something that is actually self-esteem boosting and is actually good for your well-being. So this is a tricky one for me. I absolutely believe that we should take care of ourselves. We should get up in the morning. We should have a clear demarcation from our home life into the start of our workday. If we're virtual, you know, have some sort of, of practice, some sort of ritual that you are involved in to clearly mark when you're going from home life to work life. Don't just roll out of bed and then go and sit at your computer and start working. So I agree with that. And I agree that, you know, of course we need to take care of ourselves. We need to shower. We need to get ready. Um, you know, we need to feel good about ourselves by uh, taking care of ourselves. Absolutely. Um, if you watch the video, though, you can see all these images of people dressing up in, in suits and ties and pantsuits for women and uh, stuff like that. And, and that, I think, is rather silly. Um, now, if, if you feel better when you wear a suit and tie or, or a pantsuit, and that makes you feel more professional and more um, responsible and feel good about yourself and you're able to be productive that way, fantastic. Go for it. I wouldn't uh, begrudge anyone uh, the ability to choose how they dress. But uh, along with that, I wouldn't ever suggest that people need to dress up that way. Um, I can take care of myself. I can be very conscientious. I can care about how I look and I can care about um, my, my physical appearance and my emotional, um, the connection to my emotions. I can care about all of that and not wear a, a shirt and tie. In fact, I'm going to be way more comfortable during the workday if I just dress more normal. And so for me, you know, maybe that's shorts and a t-shirt. That's fine. If, if I'm having an important client meeting, yeah, I'll, I'll throw on a button-up shirt. That's fine. Um, but typically, I'm not going to do that just for my normal working behind the computer kind of stuff. And so, I mean, personally, I, that's something I'm not going to worry about. I'm not going to dictate to my people what they wear. Uh, other than to say, yeah, take care of yourself. Make sure that uh, that you care enough to get up, uh, have a breakfast, take a shower, get your day started, and then and then you can get to work in a way that's comfortable for you. There's real danger in in that. I think as we go back to an in-person world, that we're just going to pick up our in-person world habits, not thinking about how that's going to impact our virtual colleagues, inadvertently creating sort of a tier status where the people who are there in person are like the first tier and everybody else is the second tier. So one very simple practice, whenever it's time for people to comment, to ask questions, to provide input, you make it a practice of going to the virtual people first. It's one bias will counteract another, right? So the bias you have with, with virtual participant, uh, participants is called like distance bias, right? We tend to value things more that are closer to us. So already they're kind of at a disadvantage, but what you then give them is primacy effects. They get to speak first, right? So they're the first thing that is heard. They set the direction the conversation goes in. So in a way you kind of compensate for one bias that you can't do anything about, which is that distance bias, by introducing a bias in their favor. So simple things like thinking about what is visible to the virtual people in the room. I've sat in meetings where there's a camera in the room, right? That's capturing that, that you know, that the telecon, the conference, uh, the people who are at the table and people will have their back to the camera. 
because they're just used to focusing on each other. They, and so, so training ourselves to think of that camera as another person, right? That you would never turn your back on. We basically can't use whiteboards anymore. Not, not physical ones. A lot of uh, conferencing technology now has virtual whiteboards, which are great. Even simple things like working lunches, right? If the, if the company is paying for everybody who's in office to have a working lunch, you have to make accommodations for the virtual participants. You actually have to make sure they can order something too. We really have to get into that mindset of if this is something that cannot work for everyone on this call, then we can't have it. It's like your grandmother used to say, if you don't have enough gum for everyone, then you can't have it. I really do worry about this tiered status issue as we have hybrid work arrangements. If people are there in person and some people are virtual, inevitably because you have limited face time uh, with your boss when you're not in the room and when you're virtual, uh, and because it can be more difficult to break into a conversation to share your thoughts or your insights, uh, that really can potentially negatively impact the dynamics of the group. And it really uh, can create a tiered status system within an organization that can be really problematic, especially when you look at who will probably disproportionately want to continue having more flexibility and working from home. We know that so much research shows that women take on the predominant burden of home care, child care, elder care. And so if they're trying to juggle everything and they want to be able to work remotely, and then you have people uh, in the, the office, in the face-to-face -face meetings who are disproportionately men, and there's that bias, what's going to end up happening? You're going to have more promotions. You're going to have more projects going to men. Uh, and you're going to perpetuate gendered stereotypes. You're going to perpetuate the gender uh, leadership gap, the gender pay gap. All of that is a huge problem. And whether we're talking about gender specifically or not, generally speaking, people who are remote are just going to have a harder time breaking in. And so what does that mean? Is there anything we can do about that? Of course. It's actually super simple. Just make sure that whoever's running the meeting, that you remember this bias and this this dynamic and how it can quickly emerge, and then you facilitate. That's the job of the person leading the meeting. Facilitate the meeting to make sure everyone has an opportunity to contribute, that they can be heard, and that their input can be valued. And a simple way to do that is to just make sure that when you're starting conversation around a particular issue, particularly, you know, really touchy issues, strategic issues, whatever, that you go first to the people who are joining you virtually before people in the room have a chance to comment. That will balance out the various biases at play um, that, you know, no fault to anyone. It just kind of is, it, it, you know, social psychology shows us, the research shows us that those biases will play out even if you're trying to be aware of them. So, so balance it by just making sure that you get uh, people online involved first and then allow people in the room, of course, to contribute as well. And then together you can have a really great dialogue and everyone has a chance to contribute and to be heard, to have their uh, contributions valued. It sounds like a really simple thing because it is a simple thing. Uh, and if we just get into the habit of those sorts of practices when we have hybrid work arrangements, it'll make things go way, way easier. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week.
are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.